0: Today's sermon scripture reading is the third chapter of Habakkuk. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigionoth. (laughs) O Lord, I have heard the report of you and, and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging river swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury, your threshold the nations in anger. You went out for salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of your mighty, water, surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Through the, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock will be cut off from the fold, and there will be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choirmaster with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. A couple of preliminary things uh, that some of you may be concerned about, especially if you saw anything that I've posted on Facebook in the past, I don't know, 10 hours or so. Um, The rain today and also um, the fact that my breed of chickens are Buckeyes has caused me to believe that Anything associated with the Buckeye has suffered enough this weekend, uh, and will get a at least temporary reprieve. So, <laughs> you can, um, with apologies to no one. Uh, also, um, uh, for those that are a part of uh, the the home group that meets at at my house on Wednesdays and uh, and discusses the the sermon before we uh, we meet here on Sunday mornings uh, know that there will be a, a great degree of continuity where we usually say I wonder if Mike is gonna talk about this yeah he's definitely this will be it this is the subject yeah it's it's gonna be more of the same of that because uh, this took this took some turns that I did not anticipate in fact I anticipated uh, this morning Really honing in on the last three verses of this chapter, which is a is a, uh, a, a tail end prayer of Thanksgiving, and I thought, man, I gotta I gotta do this, the tail end of Thanksgiving, right? And then I started to get into the rest of the chapter, and I realized, well. We're going to be here for a really long time if I do that, so even though this informal introduction is a bit long for me, it's still not as long as it would be if I covered all of Habakkuk 3, so so maybe that will come uh, some other time, Uh, but not today. Our sermon uh, text this morning will be focused uh, really just on those first 16 verses, and they are found uh, on page 786 of your pew bible if like me even though we've been in Habakkuk now three times uh, you struggle to find it between uh, all of those other minor prophets. So 786 is where we will be for uh, most of our time this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we Thank you for your holy word. Uh, We pray that uh, through your spirit, we will see it with eyes uh, that need to see what it says to your church today. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So uh, an integral part of the Batman stories uh, is... Gotham Police Department's bat signal. Commissioner Gordon climbs up the rooftop of the police headquarters, flips the switch, or maybe pulls the switch, depending upon you know which uh, incantation you're watching, um, or version. And, and then the powerful searchlight uh, is projected. Batman's sign goes out into the night sky, And then the rest is a series of explosions, judo chops, impressive deployments of tools from the utility belt, plot twists, boffs, thwacks, and of course, kapows. Until the Joker, Riddler, uh, Penguin, or some other deranged villain is properly foiled. What you have to understand about the bat signal, you don't but for our purposes which what you have to understand about the bat signal is that it doesn't exist without first laying a proper foundation it requires some context try to imagine Bruce Wayne in his bat suit uh, showing up at the police headquarters without first beating up on even one bad guy and leaving him with the district attorney for prosecution. So this never happens, right? But Batman, you know, just says, or Bruce Wayne says, I'm gonna put on my bat suit, I'm gonna stroll into the front door of the Gotham police station and say, I'd, I'd like, no, sorry, uh, I'd like to speak to the man in charge about installing a spotlight on the roof. <laughs> it's, it's fair to say that the police officer on duty Is more likely to look at availability at Arkham Asylum for the Batman than he is to tell the commissioner that he's got an unexpected visitor who's dressed up like a flying mammal, right? The bat signal shines in the night sky because the good guys in Gotham know that Batman is on their side and he's awesome, right? Habakkuk 3, is a lot like the bat signal. Or or perhaps the bat signal is a lot like Habakkuk 3. Let's go with that and, and let's talk about why I would say that. In some ways it seems a bit obvious and yet there's a sense in which we can start reading this chapter and get down into it in such a way that it's legitimately hard to see the forest for the trees. I've spent A lot of time in Habakkuk uh, this past year because we identified that I'd be preaching it months and months ago which should probably be disappointing to most of us Um, but I but I've known it I've spent a lot of time just you know listening to it and reading it and boy Habakkuk 3 like wow Um, but when it comes right down to it a huge part of this chapter is Commissioner Gordon flipping the switch and then doing a series of flashbacks to show why Commissioner Gordon knows that the bat signal is the smartest thing he can do not only for himself, but also for the city of Gotham. Habakkuk chapter three opens with a scene where there is a cry for help For someone, but not just anyone, the divine warrior and savior, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Do you see it? The prayer of Habakkuk commences with him saying, I know who you are and I am aware of your mighty accomplishments. And then a three-part request. Might I suggest that Habakkuk was not only a prophet but also the first Baptist preacher. He says, first, Lord, during these times, revive your work. And two, Lord, during these times, make yourself known. And three, Lord, during these troubling times, be merciful. So, out of a desire to be faithful to the text and convenience, let me suggest the following outline for us this morning Praying like Habakkuk beckons us to do the following. One, call upon the Lord to revive his work. Two, call upon the Lord to make himself known. Three, call upon the Lord to be merciful. Verses 3 through 15 are the flashbacks that I spoke of previously. And as the prayer of Habakkuk continues, he highlights both God's works and God's character in a variety of poetic ways. Throughout these verses, there is rather naturally a, a commingling of these two things, as you might expect, his works and his character. But fundamentally, these verses are about the business of praying to God to revive his work and for him to make himself known on the basis of how he has done these two things in the past. So for an example of petitioning God to revive his work based upon his past work, look with me to verses 3 through 5. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. This business of saying God came from uh, Taman, from Mount Paran, isn't like me saying I came from Michigan, or Jack is from the West Coast, Uh, though we may sometimes take license to equate someone's reputation or personality with their origins, right? So, you know, obviously uh, Chandler is a gunslinging cowboy because you can take the man out of Texas, but you can't take Texas out of the man, right? Right, yeah. Um, In this instance, Habakkuk takes some poetic license with these geographical locations to emphasize that God is the one who saved his people from Egypt, revealed himself on Mount Sinai, and in general, led and preserved his people throughout the Exodus in a manner in which only the true God of the cosmos could. Habakkuk recognizes that the same God who he is petitioning on behalf of the people is none other than the God who has gone to extraordinary lengths in the past to save their ancestors. Calling upon the Lord isn't like going to Vegas and hitting the blackjack table in hopes of getting dealt a lucky hand. Uh, It's more like if I were to step out from behind this pulpit, walk down that aisle, open the front doors, and jump. There's no question as to what's going to happen, right? Um, well, I, I mean, more or less. I, I think it's only a question as to whether or not uh, how many steps I'm going to get over before I hit steps, and then the EMS has to get called to, to cart me away right like it's a it's a given that something bad is going to happen if I go that way it's a given that God is capable of doing that which he has done in the past there's no question that he's in the business of redeeming his people it's what he has done time and time and time and time again What does it mean for us, though, to turn to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, revive your work. What does it mean for us, Vine Street? Admittedly, I get a bit nervous uh, thinking about this petition uh, in view of our little church. And admittedly, That's a bit cowardly of me. Um, Let it be said freely and without reservation that we must want God to do a great work in this church. And not because we want it to look like some halisome days of yore, but because we have good news in a bad news world. And there are people who haven't heard it, whose lives could be forever transformed by hearing the word that leads to faith. And while I I don't know with any certainty if God is going to save our neighbors, I just don't, I do know without a shred of doubt, that God is able to save. He's saved people in the past. He's saving people in the present, and he will save people in the future. I do know also that we can and should call upon God to be about his redemptive work, with an understanding that if God determines to act, he will undoubtedly be successful. And it should not go unsaid that as Christians, we look back not just on redemptive history and see the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, we see God taking on flesh, dying on the cross, and being raised from the dead. As historical events that occurred for our salvation and for the salvation of others. First Corinthians 15 has long been uh, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, uh, for the manner in which it clearly articulates this good news of God's saving work in and through Christ. Listen now as I read uh, the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For us, God's saving work was accomplished by the Son who God called out of Egypt and whose glory shone like the sun as he, full of the Spirit, prayed to the Father up on the mountain. Our salvation was worked upon the cross and sealed by the empty tomb, but it's also incredibly right for us to see God saving us in Christ's ascension into heaven and their interceding on our behalf so that we might continue to hold fast to the good news that we have received if you have trusted in God's saving work. Do not trust it, or I'm sorry, do not treat it as a one-time mental or spiritual act of Having trusted, but continuous, continuously ask God that He would supply to you the faith needed to always see that He is the God who acts redemptively for His people according to His purposes. Two, praying for God to make Himself known. Habakkuk. Petitions God to not just act, but in His acting to demonstrate who He is. Now, in some ways, this seems like sort of of a given. After all, we should expect the Holy God, the God of all truth, to act in a manner that is consistent with His character. But what Habakkuk does here. He, He emphasizes the great desire of his heart. The the prayer is that God would do something great. And it gives us, I think, an opportunity to look at how the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sees the Lord. Uh, But first, let's also say by way of application that when we pray, let's not hold back. Let's expect God to act in ways that are consistent with his character, which means, brothers and sisters, let's pray boldly that God will save. Let's pray that God will vanquish sin and death. And let's do it because we know he is able to do Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Can we can we do that? I think we can. Um, but also, I, I need to confess to you, uh, to all that I'm. I'm very, very adept uh, at finding excuses. I, I mean, finding reasons to not come uh, to our regularly scheduled. Sunday evening prayer gatherings. I'm only saying this because Mike's not here, otherwise I would be far too much of a coward to to admit it. Um, But let me say this, Uh, I've yet to attend and regret it, but I've certainly regretted not attending. I think though that if we have it fixed on our minds that we have on a weekly basis, an opportunity to pray together as a church in such a way that God will act in a manner consistent with who he is, then perhaps it will give us, or at least me, cause to see those reasons for not coming for what they really are. Okay. So who is the God that Habakkuk desires to reveal himself so that all can see? It should come as no surprise uh, that we see in this text a redeemer. Uh, That is, after all, much of, of what we've been talking about. But the imagery of God that Habakkuk employs is, I think, dramatically different from the manner in which we speak of God let's pick up at verse 8 was your wrath against the rivers O Lord was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses or your chariot of salvation you stripped the sheath from your bow calling for many arrows you split the earth with the rivers the mountains saw you and writhed, the raging waters swept on, the deep gave forth its voice, it lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury, you threshed the nations in anger, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. And we could go on a couple more verses, uh, but the refrain is very much the same as what we've just read. God is not walking with a skip in his step or tiptoeing through the tulips as he sets out to save his people, is he? No, no, God is angry. God is an angry, divine warrior in this text. He's unleashing cosmic wrath on anything or anyone that threatens those who belong to him. It's curious, is it it me or do do we rarely ever talk about who God is? in in a manner that Habakkuk does. Why is that? Well, I think the answer is a a bit complicated. Uh, It's more than just the fact that in Western civilization, um, we're not as prone to come out with words like, you pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors, or you trampled the sea With your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 8, verse 22. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. That's 865 on your pew Bible. It's a story we know well. And they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Brothers and sisters, the same divine warrior who Habakkuk says trampled the sea with his horses is the God-man in the boat demonstrating his continued dominion over the water and the wind. Jesus, same as ever, is he who goes to war to redeem his people it, admittedly some things have changed. As God accomplishes his plan of redemption through the spread of the gospel, we're called by that same divine warrior to love our enemies and pray for those who would persecute. So God has never, ever ceased to war against sin and the principalities of darkness, and he will continue to be angered by that which opposes his purposes. To this end, uh, there's a caution for us. In 2022, a couple of us went to Anaheim as messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention. And as the business meeting got to the subject of appointing a sexual abuse task force, we heard some known church leaders say, well, we we can't take all these steps because it would undermine autonomy of local Baptist churches, which is a distinctive of Baptist life. Habakkuk feared God because he understood the power of the divine warrior. Did you see in Luke 8 how the disciples continued to be in fear after the storm subsided, after it was calmed? There was no longer a storm to be afraid of. Their fear existed because of the presence of the divine warrior. So let's not assert our Baptist distinctives to fail to do the right thing for people who have been harmed by our churches. It's it's not only sickening, but it, it could put us on the wrong side of the divine warrior's plans to redeem the people who need to be made whole. Thankfully, the overwhelming majority of messengers rejected some of those assertions, right? And as we said and continue to say that the gospel that Southern Baptists declare must be good news for those who have been abused or it is not good news. Getting that right is some of the most important theological triage that we will ever do. The same concern frankly now exists uh, for the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention LifeWay, and and, uh, I'll say I I happen uh, to like a lot their Sunday school material, Um, but its leadership has seen fit to weigh in on a sex abuse case uh, here in Kentucky that they aren't even a party of. Why? because they fear, they fear that the outcome in that case would negatively impact litigation that they're involved in. They should be concerned about something far, far greater. They, could, they should be concerned about what it means to imbalance the scales of justice against the very people whom God's gospel project is designed to save. Fear not those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God will make his character known through his actions. On that note, it seems appropriate to speak of the third and final component of Habakkuk's prayer. He calls upon the Lord to be merciful. Uh, The theologian O. Palmer Robertson, uh, great theologian. Uh, For those of you who are reading theological tomes, I can't uh, impress upon you enough to read his book, uh, Christ of the Covenants. Uh, Anyways, that's not a here or there. O Palmer Robertson, uh, in his commentary on Habakkuk, deviates from the standard translation of uh, the, the tail end of Habakkuk 3, verse 2. Um, so a lot of the translations are saying something akin to what we see in the ESV here. In wrath, remember mercy. Um, he translates it, in times of trembling, in times of trembling, remember mercy. I find this persuasive uh, for a number of reasons. In fact, even um, I'll say that the ESV, which we're reading from, translates that word that that is wrath here uh, a couple of other times in the same chapter with the word trembling and. Uh, in times of, fits with the two previous requests that state in the midst of. This isn't a rote prayer that is memorized and recited without giving thoughts to the word falling out of Habakkuk's mouth. The prophet is undeniably focused on the immediate needs for God to act redemptively for the people of Israel or else they perish. He is asking the Lord, the divine warrior, to once again dispense of mercy. The prerequisite for asking for mercy Is humility. Let me say that again. The prerequisite for asking for mercy is humility. This has got to be the posture of anyone who is going to petition the Lord successfully. So immediately before Jesus gives the disciples the prayer that we pray, Every week that we gather, the Lord's Prayer, he says to them in Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't pray to be seen by others. Pray to be heard by God. Pray because God's saving mercy is desperately needed and we dare not presume that we are somehow deserving of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercies upon us. Lord, will you, by your Spirit, help us, Vine Street Baptist Church, be a church that knows who you are and what you have done, and go before you and pray, knowing that you are and always will be willing to save the lost. Lord, Help us to be a part of that great gospel work for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.